You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Amen. God is so good. What a blessing it is. Amen. To be back in God's house with God's people and God's presence. And thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Turn around to somebody and tell them, I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad, I'm glad you came tonight. I'm glad you got out and weathered the cold and all the nasty stuff that's going on. And Amen. And uh, we're supposed to have some real nice weather coming in about 24 hours. And uh, so it's uh, going to be great. But thank you for being here tonight in the house of the Lord. There's never... Amen. There's never a wasted moment when you give it to the Lord. And so I know we're busy. and We've got a lot going on in our life and a lot of things and uh, other places we could be, other things that we could be doing. But you have taken time out of your schedule to be here in God's house, as my pastor would say, to hear God's thoughts from God's word. And so we're going to take you tonight to the book of Genesis chapter number four. And we're going to pick up here where we left off about a month ago. And uh, we're going to continue in our origin series tonight for just a little bit by the help of the Lord. And uh, Sister Missy, it's good to see you home. We, all, we, we claim you here, and so this is home. So give her a great big welcome. Glad to have her here with us. Amen at CTK whenever she can be here. And so her and her husband traveled the nation and all over evangelizing. And uh, what a blessing it is whenever we can have them here. And it's good to see her. I'm going to try to jump into the, uh, the, the lesson tonight or, or, or the Bible study tonight. And uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, really need some prayer on this because uh, I didn't think it would take me this long to get this far in the text where we're at today. But uh, are you okay? Are you okay? Is this okay? Uh, tonight, if I have my counting correct, we are starting part 16, part 16, and this is the longest uh, uh, series I think that I've ever done, and we are not yet halfway through, so pray for me, and I will pray for you. Uh, so my, you know, they, everything they teach and they tell you, they tell you not to do what I'm doing. Not to do a, a 30, a 50-week series. People just lose interest. Don't do that. you got to keep them about four to six weeks is like the sweet point. That's the mark there. And then people's interest. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get you uh, to, to come back next week because next week is going to be some really com- controversial stuff. So tell somebody don't miss next week. That's going to be really controversial. And we'll try to get you on that. We're, we're going through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And we are taking our time. The subtitle, of course, as you know, is a, a Origin. Uh, the series title, A Study of Beginnings. And the significance of Genesis chapters 1 through 11, it is the first mention of so much of our understanding. It's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of uh, of, of who we are, why we are, and, and, and what we are for, why, why we exist, our purpose and our reasoning and, and how we go forward. So everything will ultimately, the question to everything is ultimately going to land you at some point back to Genesis chapters 1 through 11. 
So trying to make this personal application, I, I don't want to just uh, let this series become something that we can use to, um, let's say, uh, uh, debate with. The Bible is, is, is sacred. It's more holy than that. You can use it to debate, but the Bible is not to be reduced to something that we just get up and we debate about. I don't want us to look at Genesis chapter 1 through 11 and, and let's get in an argument about how the old, old the earth is or to get in an argument about where you and I came from or, or, or things like that. But we want to take away the big and the main points, the major things. Uh, we, we do dive in and we are free to have an opinion, uh, an interpretation on some things. The Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know but it tells us everything that we need to know. And so I'll repeat that over and over again. It doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And so that's, that's where we come in chapter 4, and uh, it teaches us of the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And so as many times as I've read through this and I've studied this, I have enjoyed teaching through this as well. And so I want to highlight... Uh, uh, some of the things, this is not a, a, a major, I guess, in-depth study, but it is uh, maybe a pause, a, a more serious look, more than just a devotional look at Genesis chapter 4, uh, or chapters 1 through 11. But tonight we're going to begin, begin at chapter number 4 and verse number 25. And by the help of the Lord, we're going to get all the way through chapter 5 tonight. So... Brother Ryan, help me. It seems like they pay more attention when you help me um, here. So, amen. I, I don't want to drone on. I, I want you to know this. I want you to be able to have, have, have this. And, and when, when I say certain things like you're, you're entitled to your opinion or whatever, let's be careful that we, we don't bring our opinion to the text. But there are times where the Bible does not give us the details. We're going to look at that tonight. It doesn't give us exactly maybe the details um, of, of what's going on here, and it leaves some things unsaid. So it's, it's, it's left for us to speculate. And so in that, you can speculate, I can speculate, and you can, you can have a different speculation than I have. But the ultimate thing we must understand is that the Word of God is true. And I say this again, the Word of God is true. Okay? So if ever in your walk of faith you come across something or you see something you feel the Lord speaks to you and and you say, "Oh man, well well maybe maybe what I heard Pastor Romine preach or teach, maybe maybe there's another explanation for that." I don't want you to be holding so beholden to me that you can't open up your mind to the Word of God and the Word of truth because as I speak, I'm a fallible man. But in everything that I say, my, my desire and my attempt is to strip myself of my opinions and, and my thoughts and to present to you the Word of God that can be a nail in a sure place, if you will, that you can stand on, amen, in times of, of great need. And these seem like questions that you don't really care about. Uh, uh, to go out throughout your day-to-day -day life, you don't really care how, how old the earth is, and you don't really care about how all this stuff was in the beginning until uh, the bottom falls out of life. And you find yourself wrestling with things. 
And if you, ironically enough, when you go to the book of Job, Job, man, the great suffering that he went through and all the things that he watched and all of the loss that he suffered immediately so quickly. And then the physical pain that he was feeling in his body, that he regretted the day that he was born, that he wished he had never been, and all of those things, he begins to go back. If you look throughout the book of Job, he goes back to the anchor points of creation, goes back to the anchor points that God is sovereign, that God created me. Uh, Naked came I into this world, and naked will I I go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because after he exhausted everything else, he realized that, that my only hope is in God. And so even if God deals harshly with me, he's still my only hope. And so I'm not going to turn anywhere else. So, so this does have powerful depth. I do believe Genesis chapter 1 through 11, especially when you come to those critical points in life. So before we begin, we need the touch of the Holy Ghost. And I know we've always wor- already worshiped the Lord and asked Him to be in here. But let's ask Him if we could just anoint His Word to our hearing tonight. Right where you're sitting, would you lift your voice with me, Lord, in Jesus' name? I thank You that we have another opportunity to gather together in Your presence to worship you freely, to magnify your name. And I pray that, God, what we cover tonight in in your holy word, I pray that it would be edifying, that it would be encouraging, that it would be challenging and convicting, that it would rest in our hearts and in our souls. And I pray that your anointing would be here tonight, anoint my lips and anoint my mind as I seek to deliver your word. And we ask all of this for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. So, Genesis chapter number 4, we just came through in the last couple of of, of sessions, we took time to talk about Cain and to talk about Abel and to talk about the difference of their sacrifice, all that that represented, the, the insignificance, what was here in the text, the first murder of man, how that comes through. And then we, we finished last lesson with the lineage of Cain. And the Bible begins to give us here the first lineage in Scripture, the lineage of Cain. And so Cain uh, 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 has a son, bared Enoch, and then we went through all of those. I, I Interestingly, we po- point out in this lineage, there is no uh, measure of time that is given. But what we see in Cain's lineage is we see incredible human advancements. We see incredible human advancements. We see uh, the beginnings of civilization. We see uh, cattle and herding, and we see music, and we see uh, uh, industrial things come about, uh, uh, inventions and other things come about by uh, uh, the lineage of Cain. And all of it was done... And the Genesis begins to show us two divisions. It begins to show us a division in the world among humanity of those that are unrighteous and those that are righteous. And all that Cain's lineage accomplished and everything that they did was done under the motivation of trying to exist without God. And so without God, they didn't want God in their life. Cain doesn't want anything to do with God. His lineage doesn't want anything to do with God. And as they go throughout, they begin to accomplish these great advances. We're going to see that later on uh, in chapter 11 where we see the Tower of Babel. 
where men after the flood again begin to repeat themselves and they come together and they, they go to build this tower, whether they were actually uh, uh, that reached up into heaven. When I was a kid, I used to think that they were building a skyscraper that would go all the way up to the throne of God, but that's not really uh, what they envisioned. They were smarter than that probably to realize that, but they were building a tower. And perhaps, Brother Blake, I believe I heard you teach on this one time that perhaps as they had escaped or, or as they had followed and been born after the flood and heard the stories of the flood, perhaps they were trying to build a tower that would just escape the judgments of God. Man and his ingenuity could try to just escape the judgments of God. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter number four. Now, last week, um, my wife and I uh, were privileged to take our son and we went to the Kennedy Space Center. And how many of you have ever been to this Kennedy Space Center in Florida? It's quite amazing, quite interesting, quite awe-inspiring in a lot of ways. But as we were going through the tours and the different things and watching all the different videos and they would move you through, man, it was so moving. And I don't want to give it all away, but they give you these videos and there and you're standing in this room and just, man, you're so inspired by what's going on. And then all of a sudden the entire wall begins to move behind you and there's stuff that's seen back there and wow, and you walk through and it's just incredible. And as we're driving through the bus from, from place to place, they've got these videos that are playing and they're telling you how big this is and how great this is. And, and if you listen to it, in the lens of Genesis chapter number four, which I was because I'd just been there and I was thinking about this, it was incredible what man has done. I mean, putting people on the moon and putting rovers on Mars and, 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 and uh, all the other stuff that we're doing out there is quite incredible. It's quite mind-boggling. But I walked away from that and I realized, wow, we are really impressed with ourselves. And when you, when you think of it that way, you think, you sort of laugh and you sort of chuckle. Um, they, were, they were talking about how big the, the I can't remember what, the, the, the VBO building or whatever, the main building that has the, the, the NASA symbol on it that's huge, that, that houses the rockets that they can build inside there. They built the shuttles in there and everything else. And, and they can take them outside. They were talking about how big this building was and how massive it was. And, 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 and the narrator is there on the floor. And all of a sudden, the drone, the camera goes way up high. And, 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 and they say, when I'm standing in here, I just feel so insignificant. And I thought, if that building makes you feel insignificant, just step outside. I mean... I thought the absurdity of that in that moment, they were talking about how grand and how great and how amazing this building was. Look at this building that we made. I mean, look at what we've done. This is so great. And I thought Job says that he flung the stars into space and he calleth them all by their name. We're still counting the stars, and God's had a Rolodex from eternity with all of them listed, with all of their names and everything else. And we're so impressed by ourselves and what we could do. And, and here Genesis shows us the ingenuity of man, the, the incredibleness of man, especially in his quest for defiance against the Lord. I think that's an interesting thing that is very relative and relevant to where we are living today because we are seeing technology advance like no other time. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what's going on. Now, also Scripture lets us know that it is a lot of uh, uh, the righteous that would bring the advancement of civilizations that would come through. 
Because if you look throughout the world and you study the world, all of these technologically advanced people, all these people that were so impressed with themselves, where are they now? Most all of them were wiped off the face of the earth. And in a lot of civilizations, we don't even know where they went. We don't even know what happened. We don't know how they built what they built, and we don't know where they went. We really don't know who they are. They, we don't know how they live. I mean, take, for instance, our own Cahokia Mounds. We're really not sure. We speculate, but we really don't know. Take the Incas in Peru. We really haven't figured out how all of that stuff. There's civilizations all over the world of great ingenuity of man, but where are they now? And so now we take a turn from those ungodly, and we turn to those a redeeming line, and this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 25. Let's go through this if we can. Brother Ryan Reed. And Adam knew his wife again. Yes. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. All right. Now make, make notice here that she called his name Seth. Read. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Instead whom, of Abel. Whom Cain slew. Whom Cain slew. So here the text seems to jump back to their third son. Now here is one of the areas of, of Scripture where it doesn't tell us everything there is to know. The Bible does not give us a chronological timeline between Cain and Abel and Seth. But what it does in chapter 4, it begins with Cain and Abel were born, and then it goes on and it tells you sort of their, uh, uh, their history, the story. It finishes the story, if you will, of Cain and Abel without interjecting the detail of when Seth was born. So we don't know at what point exactly within that. And a lot of things are left to speculation. I will let you join the chorus of speculation as well with that. But here the text is now going back because it's trying, it's written to, to help us understand the point. And that is that now after Cain and Abel, after it was, it was, it was stripped from Adam and Eve's desire, their hope, their prodigy, their future, their, their, their lineage, their pride, all of that descends. Now there's a, a new beginning. And Seth, she says, God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. So Seth, in the mind of Adam and Eve, is taking the place of Abel here. And go on and read verse 26, if you will. And to Seth. Yes. To him also there was born a son. Yes. And he called his name Enos. Yes. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's some significant things that are being established here in these verse two, first, or these last two verses. And now when we go to chapter 5, it's again going to retell the story. Now it's going to back up a little bit, and it's going to tell the story from a new fixed point all the way through. So the last two verses of chapter 4 are sort of like a capstone on, chapter, uh, uh, on, on the narrative here because if you just read chapter 4, it's rather depressing, but it leaves us with hope. Adam knew his wife again. They bear a son. She bears a son and calls his name Seth, for God hath appointed me uh, uh, another seed instead. So, so here is a redemption. Here is another chance, if you will. Here's another hope. That's the point the text is making. And now in chapter 5, it's going to begin. So let's, let's do this, and let's read, if we will, just the first, uh, let's read the first four verses here of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. So we see here it is going back, and it is picking up the details that are already established. This is a new starting point, so it's going back. It's not telling of a new creation, but it's going back to get the details, to tell the story through Seth. Read. Male and female created he them. Yes. And blessed them, mm -hmm. and called their name Adam. In Which Adam is not necessarily... Uh, uh, just a name, but it but it meant flesh. It had deeper meaning there when you would call all of them, and that it does in this text, calls all of them Adam. It would be like how we would say humanity kind of thing. Read on. Called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Read verse 3. And Adam lived in 130 years. Yes. And begat a son in his own likeness after mm -hmm. his image and mm -hmm. called his name Seth. Mm-hmm. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, mm -hmm. and he begat sons and daughters. All right, so here he is. He's giving, he's giving uh, the lineage. They're, they're, they're sort of retelling the story now with all of their hope based upon Seth. So Cain and Abel was a reality. That was a reality that they had to live through, and now Adam and Eve are facing the reality, and literally they are moved on. God has moved on. We're starting over uh, or, or continuing rather through a redemptive seed of Seth. So, so Adam and Eve had other children, no doubt. Uh, where, where did uh, Eve is the mother of all living? Where did uh, Cain's wife come from? We have to figure that out. Uh, the world was a different place, especially back in the beginning. The world was a different place pre-flood. And so uh, the Bible is going to express that to us. So we can see that, and we see the hints of that right now. We're going to see that in chapter 5 when it begins to talk about how long they lived. In chapter 4, it didn't tell us how long Cain lived, but in chapter 5, it tells us how long they lived. By the way, there are other ancient Near Eastern texts that would also testify to the incredible longevity of human life back uh, uh, before... I, I think it's the Sumerans had uh, texts that talked about how long thousands of years people would live uh, before the great flood. A flood came, ironically, and messed everything up. And so there are other ancient Near East texts that date back thousands of years, and they would testify sort of the same thing that is being testified here. Now, that we don't need that, but it's nice to know that there is other proofs in the world that support what God's Word says here. So let's pause for a moment. Let's look. Seth. What was Seth? Seth was Eve's hope. And we see that by her expression here. We see that even by the meaning of the names here. And so uh, we, we've passed through Cain and his lineage. They are very evil. Adam and Eve face the reality of their son's murder, and now they are restored and redeemed, and there is a new start. Seth becomes their symbolic, if you will, firstborn. He's obviously not their firstborn. The text says not so, but in, for in regard to genealogy, he would be recorded. He would take that position. He would take that place as the firstborn. And so from Seth's lineage would continue, of course, Abraham, David, and ultimately the Messiah as well. We see a couple of things here. 
The contrast in chapter 4 between the iniquity and the evil of Cain to Seth, and then it says, Seth, there also was born uh, a son, and he called his name Enos. And if you want to do uh, an interesting study, when we name our children today, a lot of times the name, we like the way it sounds, and it's just about the way it sounds, what goes together. And the name uh, actually... Uh, may have no meaning or, or we don't even know the meaning. And the only meaning that usually we have when we name uh, uh, a child may have some, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, emotional attachment because of who that name represented, perhaps a mother, a father, a grandparent, a friend, someone else that you have. But that's not the way it was back then. Their names had meaning. It was definition and it defined and that's a very interesting study when you go back and you understand what did these names mean. And there was a message that was given in each of those names. So here comes Seth. He's now the redemptive. He's the substitute. Literally, that's his name. He's the substitute. He's the replacement here. And then it tells us, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now that phrase is important. Underline that phrase. If you're in your Bible, you ought to underline that phrase because that is a significant, significant piece. That's a significant part here of the text. It's letting us know that here we are seeing for the first time intentional corporate worship, if you will. When we look at, Ad, uh, when we look at Cain and Abel, uh, we don't even see this in Adam and Eve, but when we look at Cain and Abel, we see private worship. We see Abel come and bring an offering to God, and Cain come and bring an offering to God. One's accepted, one's rejected. There's bitterness and strife there. But now, Cain's lineage goes on with disregard for God. But now, after uh, just a few generations, the Bible says, then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Elsewhere where that, that phrase would be used, it would imply that they would have built an altar. They would have had a public sacrifice. It was a public thing. And so here we see an intentional corporate worship in humanity that is acknowledging God. So we are closing out chapter 4 with two different portraits of humanity. In one, we have humanity running from God. And in the other, we have men beginning to call upon God. So there is this tension now in the world that exists. The tension is public. The, the, <laughs> it is very public. There's a clash of cultures, if you will, of mindsets and ideologies. And we're going to see that because Genesis chapter 5 now is going to give the lineage from Adam all the way to Noah. And here we're going to see a lineage of people who uh, you may not have noticed it in the text before, but people who are reaching for God at some level. So Noah is not just this pagan guy walking around, just not, not, not minding anything else, and the whole world is lost, and, and God just picks one evil one out of them and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to save the world through you. No, there was a righteousness that was already existing in Noah, but chapter 6 is going to show us exactly how perverse the world got. How perverse the world got. So much so that God's going to destroy it all with a flood, but He can't destroy those that are calling upon Him. And so God, we see through this lineage as He'll spare Noah. We'll look at that here. But then we go to chapter 6. So chapter 4 is the unrighteous 
juxtaposed against those that are calling upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 5 gives us this lineage of people that are following after God. And then chapter 6 is a counter showing us how evil and how wicked the world really was. And when we see that, that is the context, the the conflict of humanity, the righteousness and the unrighteousness Why is that relevant to us? Because this happened thousands of years ago. Why is that relevant to us? Because Jesus Christ says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. So if you're ready to live for God, you're going to live for God through turbulent times. Amen? Amen? So when we as a church come in contact with turbulent times, We don't get disheartened and run away and think God's failed us and God's weak and God's no longer able to do whatever. We realize, no, this is exactly what God says is going to happen. And so it's sort of juxtaposing all this together. Now, I want want to highlight here something I want to note for you is that um, Eve names Seth. Why is that significant? Because a lot of people would say that, that women had no rights in the Old Testament, that women... Uh, We're just an afterthought. And here the Bible is actually elevating and exalting the role of a mother in the establishing of her children. Eve named Seth. And in the very next verse it says, and Seth named Enos, which means that both mother and father were involved here. God never, uh, uh, the Bible never teaches that man is greater than the woman. I thought I'd get a whole lot more amens on that. Man, like, I was pausing. I was going to give you time there. But I'm just going to move on. Thank you, Brother Ben. Thank you. You were not, well, I don't want to say you were not the amen that I was expecting, but but, amen. Amen. As we've seen throughout looking through this text anyways, it is, it is, it is important to note how much the Bible does exalt male and female together. You are created in the image of God. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't leave us out? Amen. Aren't you thankful? God doesn't just put us on a tiered system in His love or in His priorities. No, He loves us all the same. Praise God. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. And so we continue on here. Not only only does Eve uh, name Seth, They began to call upon the name of the Lord. And now we go in chapter 5, and we look at here, chapter 5, verse 4. Read it again, if you will. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Okay, now let's just not read over that and pretend that that's not totally something that we can't comprehend. The days of Adam after he begot Seth, was 800 years. So he lived 130 years. 930 years, and he begat sons and daughters. There's a whole lot of time that's not accounted for here, or a whole lot of details that are not accounted for here. So we see right off the bat, verse 5, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So the point I would like to make first off 
is that in this genealogy, it is going to give us a measurement of time. Now that has purpose. God was not just needing to fill space on a page when He tells the story. But He's telling us how long they lived on this earth. And by that, some have gone back and tried to calculate, and tried to add up, because you can. You can go back. We have the record here. And try to add up to determine how old the earth was, or how old, at least, how long ago it was that Adam and Eve lived. And some say, and and you can get into a lot of arguments here, and you can get into a lot of debates on this. And some say, well, uh, it doesn't really matter that the genealogies uh, give us times because what is taking place here is more representative than literal. So you don't have to actually pay attention and count them up. This is just a representation. Okay? That, that, might be, uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch, I would think, in my opinion. That's my opinion. And the MacArthur Study Bible, which is a study Bible that you, you hear me say that I like, uh, uh, especially when, when you get around the parts where they hate Pentecostals. Um, it's, a, it's a really good study Bible, but that's one of the takes that it would say. It would say that this is just representative, and so don't get too hung up on the dates. Another argument would say, well, there's a difference in genealogies, that all genealogies don't match up. For instance, when you go to Moses' writing of the genealogy, and then you go to Joshua's record of the genealogy, sometimes he would skip over certain people, and they would say, so-and-so begat or fathered, and it would go on, and sometimes there's gaps in the genealogies that are there. So because there's gaps, we don't know how long exactly it is. And sometimes it is true in Hebrew literature, they're writing to establish the point more than to give you all of the exacting details. But I, I want to be absolutely honest, if I can, with the text. I want to be as honest as I can. I don't think God would have put something in here if it didn't mean something. So I don't think we can just dismiss it. Some people say, well, don't get too hung up on the years. Maybe they counted different than we did, and so you've got to actually divide their years by five, or you've got to add seven or four. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy stuff that's out there, and you could spend a lifetime and a a library building a library of all the different explanations. But if we can just reduce it and come back to the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself, okay? And it says, basically, they lived a long time. They lived a lot longer than you. Okay, now we haven't even gotten into the genealogy really yet. And look at verse 5. He lived, and what does the last phrase of verse 5 say? And he died. And he died. Don't miss the point. They lived, and they died. In the day that you eat it thereof. You shall die. And so God gave them that promise. He told them. He said that is, the re- that is uh, what you get. That is what happens. The consequence of the sin of disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden that there would be death that would come in. And so death began. Death comes there. They live and they die. Now we can space this out. And the other thing that the Bible does uh, implicitly let us know is that 
Before the flood, they lived a whole lot longer than we live now. And they had children for a whole lot longer than we do now. And so the world was a different place. And there was a literal change in the earth, in the atmosphere, in whatever, in the, in the environment that we live in before the flood. And after the flood, when we get to that, lifespans are going to shorten and they are going to settle at about the 70 and the 80 year mark for life, which has continued all the way through history until now. And of course, we have the great exceptions of certain people, even today. But for the last how many thousands of years now, the lifespan has basically been that. So I, I, I don't want to say that we can go back and we can exactly date when the flood was and exactly go back to the very date when Adam was born. I don't have all of the answers, but I also think that it is foolish or, or, or maybe a little arrogant just to totally dismiss all of the time markers that God is giving to us here in His Word. Now, so, so, so when you do that, generally speaking, a lot of people by nature can, can come to some form of what they would call young earth, but maybe, maybe there was gaps in there. I don't know. But um, I think we can get so hung up on the details that we can debate and we can argue and we can miss the point. The overarching point here is man going into ungodliness and man trying to live righteous. That is the prevailing thing. And I don't want you to go to this passage of the text and always go back to how old the earth is and all kinds of things, but to see what's happening. So now we're going to go through this really fast. I want you to read through this beginning at verse number 6. And let's just read until I tell you to stop. And Seth lived an hundred and five years and begat Enos. Yes. And Seth lived, after he begat Enos, eight hundred and seven years mm -hmm. and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. Okay, so here it is again. It's repeated. And he died. Go on. And Enos lived ninety years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived, after he begat Canaan, eight hundred and fifteen years and begat sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. All right. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. And Canaan lived, after he begat Mahalalel, 840 years mm -hmm. and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. All right. Do you see a theme here? All right. There's a theme here. He lived... And he died. And Mahaliel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And Mahaliel lived after he begot Jared 830 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahaliel were 890 and five years. And he died. And so here is the thing. They, by the way, if you go back, and, and we're skipping this here, but if you do a study on all of these names, these names have purpose and they have meaning here. Go on. Verse 18. And Jared lived 162 years mm -hmm. and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Mm -hmm. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Okay, pause right there. Now, this is an interesting thing because as we're going through here, now as a, as a scribe to Enoch, a phrase... 
that no one else, it's just been methodical, it's just going through, going through, and now there's a phrase, Enoch begat Enoch, but then it says in verse 22, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Enoch walked with God 300 years. So it's given the lifespan of Enoch. So uh, um, Jared is a good biblical name, and the reason why is because he's the father of Enoch. And look at what takes place in Enoch's life. It says Enoch has a son, and he named him Methuselah. Methuselah. Now, the name, the meaning of the name of Methuselah is a little, uh, uh, sometimes people don't agree on it, but there is significance in the meaning. And traditionally, the, the, the Israelites would interpret or look back at that. One of the possible meanings of Methuselah is this, and that is, it means when he dies, judgment. When he dies, judgment. So Enoch has a son, and he prophetically names his son when he dies, judgment is coming. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God. There was something in the upbringing of Enoch. There's something through here that we're not reading in the details. What was Jared's home like that would possess Enoch to grow up to walk with God? And, and when he walked with God after he begat Methuselah, how, how bold and arbitrary is it to name your son something that if it doesn't pan out, you become the false prophet? Unless... God had spoken to Enoch. God had a relationship with Enoch that he does not have at this level with anyone else. And this is what the text is letting us know, that Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. That what encounter did Enoch have with God that would cause him to prophetically name his son when he dies? Judgment... And by the way, Methuselah would die the same year. If you count it, Methuselah would die in the same year that the flood would come upon the earth. You want to talk about a living testimony. You want to talk about a walking prophecy. And Enoch walked with God. Look at what it says. Go in verse 23 and 24. Read on. And all the days of Enoch were yes. 300 65 and five years. Yes. And Enoch walked with God. There it is again, his special relationship with God that no one else has. He, he walks with God. What's the, what's the contrast here? Well, Adam and Eve met with God in the cool of the day. Abel and Cain, they came in moments of personal worship to God. Seth and Enos then began man to call upon the name of the Lord in corporate worship. But Enoch walked with God. It was not just an appointed time. It was not just an intentional gathering, but it was an everyday walking with God. And look at what the text says. And he was not. And he was not. For God took him. For God took him. Wait a minute. Here is a special exception. 
Because up until this point, he lived and he died. He lived and he died. But Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. There was something powerful about his relationship with God. I'm going to tell you, if you don't think living for God matters, then you are missing the whole point of Scripture. He walked with God and was not. Now, I can pause there. We could talk all night on that. We could ponder that. You should. Just take time. I'm still pondering it. Years later, I'm still pondering. I don't know how that is. But he was not. God took him. God says, okay, this one, he's not going to die. I'm just going to take him. It's the same thing, but I'm just going to take him. Wow. Wow. What a unique, unique thing there. What a unique thing there. Read on. And Methuselah lived 187 and seven years and begat Lamech. Lamech. Okay, so Methuselah. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and yes. begat sons and daughters. Yes. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And he died. When he dies, judgment. All right. And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Which the Lord hath cursed. Look at what's happening. Two breaks in the lineage. Two breaks in the genealogy. The first break is Enoch. He walked with God and was not, for he took him. And in Enoch's naming of his son, there was a prophetic interpretation. When he dies, judgment. There's something significant happening at his death. The, the, the judgment of God. There's going to be a change. There's going to be something that you are going to see. It's prophetic. And now we come to the grandson of Enoch. I'm going to talk about having a spiritual heritage. The grandson of Enoch. His name is Lamech. And now there's a break in the genealogy when Lamech names his son Noah, and it is another prophecy. For this same, he says, shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Noah's name means rest. That there is going to be a rest from the weariness, that there is going to be a salvation, that there is going to be a comfort, that there is going to be something. Here we see two worlds. We see two, two tracks of humanity. We see the iniquity and we see the righteous. And Lamech says in the birth of his child, this son, this isn't just hopeful wishing. This isn't just a proud parent that's trying to, to, to dream up the fact that their child's better than all others. No, there is something spiritual taking place here. And he prophesies there will be a comfort. There will be a rest that is going to come to those who are righteous 
And of course, Noah, there would be toil. He would build the ark for 100 years. He would preach the persecution, the ostracized. But then finally, he would gather his family and those closest to him that would join him would go into the ark. And there God would send the beast. God would shut the door. God would spare them. And God would wipe out the evil, the iniquity, the demonic oppression, all of the things that were prevailing in the world. And when they would come out, there would be rest. God would put his bow in the sky. There would be a promise and there would be a comfort in that time. There would be a new covenant that God would establish with Noah. And so now in Genesis chapter 5, the point that we are seeing here is that there is hope in righteousness, there is a hope in those that call upon the name of the Lord, in those that walk with God, in those that keep their hearts set upon the Lord, even in the midst of all kinds of despair and all kinds of wickedness. Read on. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years. Yes. And begat sons and daughters. Yes. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so here it is. Now the, 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 the genealogy is going to pause, and the story is going to go to how the world was at the point that God brings judgment. It pauses here, and it's going to tell us how it is, and then we're going to go to the story of Noah and the great flood, but I want you to note something here. Lamech dies before his father dies. Methuselah actually outlives Lamech. Methuselah being the eldest name, the, the longest living person named in Scripture is Methuselah. Lamech actually passes away before that. Lamech passes away before he sees the prophecy of his grandfather come to pass and before he sees the prophecy that he made come to pass, Lamech passes away. But God's word still is true. There are times in life, I just pause on this, there are times in life where God can give you something. He can show you something. That doesn't always mean you're going to be around to see it. But you can, you can rest on this, that God's word is true. And his promises are yea and amen. Lamech would pass just a few years before Methuselah, just a few years before the flood would come. But Lamech would live long enough, Methuselah would live long enough to see the ark being constructed. To see the ark being constructed. To see his son building a boat in the middle of the desert. And can you imagine the support that Noah would have needed? Can you imagine the support he would have needed to build a boat in the middle of a desert? <laughs> Saying it's going to rain when they had never seen rain? Prophesying something? But Noah had a witness. He had two witnesses of men that had words from God who were living examples of something. He had the testimony of his own great-grandfather, Enoch, who was not. You want to talk about a motivating factor to live for God. A motivating factor not to compromise. A motivating factor not to give up. And here Noah comes along, and Noah now 
is going to become God's prophet. He's going to become God's preacher. He's going to become God's mouthpiece. And God is going to use him. We're going to begin. We're going to close here tonight. We're going to come back in chapter 6. And when we look at chapter 6, we're going to look at some, some uh, let's say, uh, controversial text a little bit on what people argue. I'll give you a couple different uh, uh, interpretations and then share a little bit. Uh, uh, where I'm at on that, and then we want to take away the overarching main point, and we'll look then at what God gives in a promise to Noah and how that all goes about, and then uh, that's going to be exciting. That's going to be great as well. So I, I, I pray that this simple study of Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is helpful. This for me, if I could share my personal testimony, this for me probably is a little bit my apologetics in my life for the defense of faith in my life. Because so many things, as you've heard me say, uh, the world questions. The world doesn't question a lot of the, 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 the Bible, a lot of Scripture. Oh, it's great. You can use it. A lot of the, the world, even secular, will read a lot of the Scriptures. There's nothing like the teachings of Jesus and, and all the sayings and all the other things. But mo- by and large... Uh, the, the humanistic, agnostic, uh, societal culture that we live in today would cut Genesis chapters 1 through 11, reduce it to just uh, fable, mythology, tradition to help establish good bearings. Well, this is a good story. And even, and even today, a lot, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, maybe the majority of Judaism in the world today itself would actually not take Genesis chapter 1 through 11 as, as literal in every way, but it, it's a good uh, tradition for the way we live or the way they live now. And so they use it on, in that sense. But when we look at Scripture, Jesus did not reference these passages. The prophets and the apostles did not reference these passages as anything else but the literal Word of God that is true. And so it's true for us. And so this is not, uh, people say, oh, well, it denies science. Well, that, that's just a bunch of bogus. If you actually study it out, it, um, it speaks of science. A lot of things here. It confirms science, and science confirms this in many ways. Amen. So are you thankful for the Word of God? Yes. Amen. So we have a reason, amen, not to be ashamed. No, in whom you have believed, right? Isn't that what Paul says? And so, amen, stand together with me. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for your spirit that we feel here tonight. I thank you for every person, every family, every home, every heart. And I ask right now that your word would be more than just something that that we use to get emotional over, but God, that it would infiltrate our mind and our heart. God, our very being, that we could meditate upon it, that we could know your goodness, that we could be inspired to walk with you every day, that we would always follow in the footsteps and the paths of righteousness, that we would ever endeavor to call upon the name of the Lord in our life. And I pray, God, that we could stand on the right side of eternity. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that loves us and is so relentless. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord one more time. Thank the Lord for His Word. Amen. Thank the Lord for His Word. If you haven't...